I want you to get your Bibles ready, whether you have a physical Bible here or whether you're doing an e-Bible, an electronic Bible. I, I want to walk you through something today that is very important, and I think it's going to be something foundational for us as a church today. I, I, let me just say what I want to preach about today. This may surprise you. I'd like to preach about God today. If we could do that it's always good in a church that, that we can talk about God and I want to take you through something that's very important uh, even to my own heart today I want to take you to the beginning I want to take you to the to the very beginning I want to take you to the book of Genesis when I when when the calendar year switches and it becomes January my Bible seems to for, for decades automatically open in, in to Genesis as I start a brand new year going through the Bible to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. I, I think this, I think there are two books of the Bible that the devil hates the most, and it's Genesis and Revelation. Why? In Genesis, his doom is predicted and pronounced, but in Revelation, his doom is carried out. And I believe that. I believe that when you begin to study those two books, Satan would want you to think Genesis is a myth and revelation is a mystery. He doesn't want you to see the value of those two books. And here's my opinion why that the devil hates these two books. Because the devil is not in the first two chapters of Genesis, and he's not in the last two chapters of Revelation. And I think he wants out and wants us to think that those books don't count. And I believe and so thankful for what I think the Lord is going to even begin to say to us today. When you read the story of creation in Genesis, creation has a cadence to it. There, from day to day, for the first five days, you'll read this cadence. It goes something like this. Creation starts with let there be, and it could be light, or let there be a, um, a big light in, this, in the sky, speaking of the sun, and a lesser light, the moon. And it will always speak to this. So, and then the cadence always ends with these words, and God saw that it was good. It's always the cadence. You'll see it for five straight days. Over and over, you'll hear those words repetitively and, and, and see it right there in the book of Genesis. Then something happens. The repetition and the cadence is interrupted. God does something that is never done with any of the other newly created things that he does on day six. It's when God creates man. Here it is in what God says and on day six and when the cadence is interrupted. Let me read it to you. This is day six. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, of the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. It was there. You saw there was something there that God said, I'm going to do something different on day six. Here it is. Immediately after creating man, God talks to man. He hasn't talked to any part of his creation yet. And now the voice of God begins to interact with the man that he created. Everything else God created, he rested moved on to the next day, moved on to the next piece of creation, but not this time. Church, I want you to get this. Why did God talk to them? Why in Genesis 1, 28 do you see these words, and God said, here it is, folks, it's as simple as this, man needs the voice of God. 
We need God speaking to us. Here's what's amazing. Even though at this moment in time, man is innocent, the fall hasn't take pl- taken place, they still needed God. They were created, we were created to be dependent upon God. What's amazing is this, when God speaks in Genesis 1.28, it was God having to explain who they were and what they were to do with their lives. This is so important. Think about it this way, church. They didn't need his help or his voice because they were sinners. They needed his voice because they were human. And that, friends, they were created by God. That's the way we are. We need his voice every single day. That's what keeps us alive. That's what gives us purpose even in life. And this is why we can so easily in our society think we need other things. I love what, what, the, what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said from, from Westminster. He said it like this when, when this world begins to get it wrong. He says, the terrible, tragic fallacy has been to think that all of men's troubles are due to his environment. That to change a man, you just change his environment. But he said, this overlooks the fact that it was in paradise, Eden, that man fell. It was in a perfect environment that he first went wrong. So to put a man in a perfect environment, think about this, cannot solve man's problems. Church, listen to me. Man falls when man loses the voice of God. Or let me say it to you this way. Society fails when society loses the voice of God. That when we were only trying to do is change, change everything else, but hearing the voice of God right now, even in our own country, the voice of God is being strategically eradicated in public venues. And when you try to take away the voice of God, whether it's through prayer, the word of God, whether it's posting his laws or his commandments, when you remove the voice of God, you're sabotaging our existence because we were created to need the voice of God from the very beginning. Man is trying to fix the environment where really man should be starting a conversation with God again in our country and in this nation. It's what man has to do. We need God's voice to fully live for God. We need God's voice to have any kind of future. And that's why Genesis 1 confronts us with the fact that we need God to talk to us. That our need for help really even preceded sin's entrance. We were created to be dependent. But then I want to bring you to this moment. This is what I want to talk about. When God finished creation and man started living in his des- for and in his designed purpose, something else happened. God spoke to man in Genesis 1.28 because the man needed the voice of God, but something else happens. Up till this moment, there are only three voices on the planet. And then in Genesis 3, a fourth voice speaks. Three voices. Adam, Eve, God for these chapters, and this is God, God is interacting with man, but then that fourth voice shows up. Those that know their Bible, those that have maybe read through Genesis, and there are some that are brand new converts, brand new born-again Christians, that fourth voice that shows up in Genesis 3, it's really a voice from hell. 
It's none other than the voice of Satan. It's another counselor, another opinion imposing its, its viewpoints, its viewpoints on God's, on God's voice. See, Genesis 3 is the Garden of Eden. And let me remind you what Dr. R.T. Kendall said just a few Tuesdays ago, and he'll be with us this Tuesday night, which I want to encourage you not only be here this Tuesday night for Dr. R.T. Kendall, but I am so excited. Next Sunday in this pulpit will be our general overseer, Pastor Carter Conlon, will be joining us in this pulpit. So there's so much getting ready to happen, but R.T. Kendall said it like this, Genesis 3 is a date on the calendar and a place on the map. This isn't a myth. This isn't a legend. This isn't just some story fabricated. This is truly the, the, the founda a foundational chapter for us. And it is the introduction of a fourth voice into this world. That it's not us listening to God, but there is an interceptor. There is one that's interjecting his voice, and this is where it all starts. Let me read it to you. Because this is how it starts in Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, listen to the first words of Satan, the first words of the serpent. Indeed, has God said, folks, stop right there for a second. I want you to look at me. I, while I was preaching in the first service, I came to this. And I'm, I'm reading the verse myself. And all of a sudden it just hit me. Think, think of what just happened. The Bible says that, that, that the Lord God, you see that phrase, Lord God had made. Isn't it interesting? When Satan speaks, he chops God's name in half. He removes the Lord part. That word means sovereignty. That word means self-existent one. It was the word Lord, L-O-R-D, is what God what made God personal to man. And he removes that and chops his name in half. And now the serpent begins to speak. He says, indeed, has not Lord God, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. But from the tree of the, of, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die, for God, half the name, knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And then it says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit, ate it, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate it. Leave that last verse up there just for a moment. Let me just say this. I've had someone point this out. Isn't this amazing? Look at that last part. And he, she gave also to her husband, what is those two words, the next two words? With her. Someone rightly commented, said, Adam was with Eve the entire time the conversation was going on. She turns to him. I, I, if, if he would have showed up in Pastor Patrick's office for counseling, he would have said, when a serpent talks to your wife, you better step in. And all of a sudden, this man doesn't do anything here. And to her husband with her, and he ate. Notice the content of the serpent's counsel. Notice the content of the counsel to Eve. That the devil takes the very things that God said to them and reinterprets who God is from his reinterpretation. Now, now here's 
What's important, because this is where I want you to get this. This is not just something that happens here, because this is where the enemy starts to come in, and the fourth voice starts to go after the character of God, reinterprets who God is. This is what he does. Jesus speaks to this, and just allow me to be a little bit heavy to get into this for just a few moments. Because Jesus speaks of the, when Jesus speaks of the devil, he goes all the way back in John 8, I believe, to this story in Genesis 3, which is the very beginning. I think John 8, 44 is about Genesis 3. L listen to what Jesus said about Satan himself. He said, you are of your father the devil. That's, that's, we, we see that in Genesis 3. And the desire of your father you want to do, he said, he was a murderer, here it comes, from the beginning. I think he's taking you back to Genesis, and he doesn't stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. I think when Jesus says, in the beginning, he was a murderer from the beginning, he's bringing us back to this Genesis story. Listen for a moment. Get this down. Jesus says these two things in this passage. His motive is to murder, and his method is lying. That's how he's going to get you there. His, his goal is to take you out, and his, and his method to do that is by lying to us. And in Genesis 3, that's what you have there. You have a murder. It, it is God. It, 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 it is the enemy coming in, lying about God, and murdering the relationship that these two people have, which we'll get to in a second. Think about that for a moment. The biggest liar, the devil, lying about the greatest subject, God. That's what he does. That's what he goes after. See, the fourth voice in Genesis 3 contains three accusations that I want to just walk through today. Three accusations, three reinterpretations of God. Get this down from A.W. Tozer. This is important. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us today. Let me say that again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's why what God wants to do, I mean the enemy wants to do, is lie about who God is. See, that fourth voice is going to try to reinterpret who God is. Why? Okay, stay with me for just a second time, Square Church, before we jump into this. Every promise or word spoken is only as good as the one who makes the promise. So what the enemy wants to do is if he can mess up the person who's making the promise or reinterpret them or have a character assassination on that person, then we don't believe what he said. If, we, if the enemy can mess up, that's why the Tozer quote is so important, if the enemy can mess up what you think about God, then his laws, his word, doesn't have value to us. His, the promise is only as good as the promise keeper. So what the enemy does is he goes after the character and nature of who God is. The, Jesus says that, and even the apostle Paul does this. I want you to see this. When the apostle Paul speaks about the chaos 
of society that he was experiencing and prophesying what we were to experience, what's happening right now, he says this is the way it's going to happen. It's going to be a lie that exchanges truth for really who God is. Here it is. Let me read it to you. This is, this is Romans chapter 1. He says, professing to be wise, they become fools because they change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible men and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Okay, these next two verses where it comes. Therefore, God has given them up to uncleanness, lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Why? What, what happens? Who exchange, get this now, church, don't, don't, don't just skim over this. They exchange the truth of or about God for, these next two words, the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than creator. Keep that up there for just a moment. This is, this is huge what the Apostle Paul is saying. Because right after that, folks, this can get, in today's culture, it it's not only defines it, but it's getting people in trouble. As soon as verse 25 ends, 26 goes into what is happening with, with the sexual things all throughout our society. He says, unnatural passions will be released on our culture. Why? Because if they can exchange the truth of who God is, then they make up their own rules. Does this make sense? He says it goes back to, don't miss these two words, the lie. That, that word the is huge. Because that's not just some, that's some, some determinant in, in English. That's an adjective saying that lie is the lie from Genesis chapter 3. Because if what they did, what is the lie of Genesis 3? Here it comes. The lie is this, exchanging the truth about God for the lie. It's exchanging truth of who God is. See, that's why Genesis 3 is a truth exchange about God. What the enemy does is he steps in, assassinates the character of God, and then therefore can play around with even the commands of God. Because if I mess up who God is, you don't believe what he says. If I can mess up his character, then, then what he says doesn't mean very much today. So what does he do? Listen to this, because here, here it comes. I want, I want you to get ready to write these three things down, because then we're going to go through them. So if you can't write fast, just take a picture. Get your phones out. Stop texting and take pictures. Here we go. It goes like this. Genesis 3 is a truth exchange about God. And here are the three things that he says. And we'll do these three. God is not truthful. God is not good. And God is not righteous. Let me read that again. Because if he can undo that, those three things, if he can undo those three things, then that means he can play around with those. That's what Paul was saying in Romans chapter 1. He said if he can get you to exchange the truth about God, he says then verse 26, it unleashes men with unnatural passions. Because now you don't trust what God says. Now you trust what you think. And what leads you when, you, when you assassinate the character of God, God is not truthful, God is not good, and God is not righteous, then everything goes. That's why I believe when you take this church, I believe when the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2.11 that we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. You know what I believe Paul was telling us? Satan is 
very predictable. He's not innovative. It's the same lie all the time. God is not good. God is not true. And God is not righteous. It's the same thing over and over, which tells me this. Satan is crafty, but Satan is not creative. It, he is boring in, in coming up with the same things. God is not truthful. God is not good. God is not righteous. So here's what I want to do today. I want to just take those three things. I want you to write each one of those things down, and then let me walk through those things with you. So get ready now. Here we go. Number one, God is not truthful is the first thing that the enemy said. Listen to 3.1. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, this is questioning God, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden, question mark. Think of that. Has God said, and you have exactly what God said to her in chapter 2, is God, and really he's just questioning, is God's word, is God's word true? Because what he was saying to her is God is not truthful. God is not true. See, remember, the devil is not innovative. He's, not, he's very predictable. It happened to Jesus when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. Remember this? It's the same attack. Remember when the tempter comes to Jesus in the wilderness? He just starts his ministry out, and the enemy comes, and it says the tempter, de the devil, just like the serpent in Genesis 3, as the serpent comes to the Eden, the garden, it's the serpent showing up again in the wilderness and says, if you are the son of God, command that these stones turn to bread. Okay, folks, isn't it amazing? Remember what happens just before the temptation? It's the baptism of Jesus. And remember what happens at the baptism of Jesus? Jesus hears the voice of God from heaven. Look, look at it, Genesis, Matthew 3.17. And a voice comes out of heaven and said, this is my what? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Do you see those words? What God was saying was, you're my son. What does the enemy say? Jesus hears, this is my beloved son. Satan says, if you're the son of God. Isn't it amazing? Can I just warn you, whenever you read anything in the Bible, look out for the enemy because he's going to come and try to put a question mark there. Anytime you hear something from the Lord, he's going to do it today. As I'm speaking today, Tuesday night, as R.T. Kendall speaks, next Sunday as Pastor Carter speaks, the enemy is going to take every message and try to put a question mark at the end of it. Is that really God's word? Is that really what God is saying? That's what's amazing here. Satan is always questioning what God says. That's what Satan did to Eve. It's what he did to Jesus. Satan adds the question mark. That's the subtlety of what he does. He's putting doubt in the heart of people, having people question God's word. But here's the great thing about God. This is what I love about God, is that God will get his word to us so we can respond to God's words. God is committed to getting his word to you. Something happened last week which so excited me. Um, last week here, we saw 76 people for the very first time commit their lives to Jesus Christ, become born again last week. Hey, folks, can I just tell you what, we, what even happened in the first service? Because of the cold weather and everything, we had nine, 19 in the place get born again and 36 online get born again this morning, this morning. So 55 people in the first service go, I want to be born again. 76 last week. But right before that, when Nikki Cruz was here, something happened. Something very special happened. When Nikki Cruz was here um, two weeks ago, I heard a story from Violet and Josh. You saw Violet, 
who was, um, who was introducing our missionaries in Siberia that you support with your generosity. And they, Violet and Joss tell the story that when we were sitting in the balcony during Nikki Cruz's sermon, Josh noticed two girls sitting in front of us that were trying to translate the sermon using Google Translate. They, were, they, they, they could not understand what Nikki was saying, so they were trying to hold up Google Translate. And, and I want to stop here for just a second. I want to give a shout out to one of the most important ministries of our church. I want to thank God for the translation ministry today. I want to thank God for them. Whether, let me just tell you this, whether it's these precious people that are interpreting for the deaf every single service, I'm so thankful for them. Or those online, every one of you translators online, what's happening is this. I think we're up to about 14 different languages from Spanish, Filipino, French, Arabic, Japanese, Chinese, Korean. They're all being translated. If you invite a friend that doesn't understand English, you can go right on the website, do the drop-down menu, and your mess, the message gets translated in their language. That's exciting. I want to just say thank you to our volunteers. Thank you for what you're doing. And maybe you're sitting here today. Maybe you're watching online going, where do I serve? I, I'm, I come from another, my English is no good. Ooh, we got a good ministry for you. Because you can go right to the translation ministry if you go, if you look there and go, my language isn't on there. So guess what? We want you to serve in that area of ministry because you never know what can happen in that moment. So, I, here, so here's what's crazy. Josh and Violet are sitting in the balcony. Google Translate isn't working and the translation Zoom link for some reason isn't working. So Josh has this idea of finding someone on our team who spoke Spanish and they reached out to Anissa, one of our young adults, and she comes all the way up to the balcony, sits next to these girls, and whispers in both of their ears the entire testimony of Nikki Cruz. And can I tell you what happens? At the very end, when Nikki says, if you want to be born again, get down to this altar, guess who were the first two girls to leave that balcony to come down here and get born again? Do you know what God did? Before the fourth voice can come in, and say, they, they, this isn't for you. You don't understand. This is just about this guy's faith. There's no one that cares about you here. God brings someone straight up and says God loves you and comes down and becomes born again. That, to me, is when the voice of God comes in that before the voice, fourth voice does. That's why every time someone preaches, every time somebody opens up the Bible, like Pastor Patrick did on Tuesday night, when we open it up every single Sunday, what we're doing is this, we're allowing God's voice to trump the fourth voice that is always wanting to come in and lie to us. And people will come in, listen, I've heard them all my life, I, I, let me just do them re re really quickly, because people will try to bring lies about this book. In fact, I found out there are four lies that the enemy will try to give people about this book. Let me give them to you real quickly, here you come. Number one, the Bible's too big to bother. I'm gonna tell you, you need all 66 books because whether it's Genesis or Revelation, God has something to say to us inside this book. And let me just tell you this, if you can read Harry Potter, you can read this. Let's just get this straight. 800 pay, read this book. Sorry, I don't know where that came from. Number two, 
The Bible's too old to matter. Oh, let me just tell you something. So is gravity. It's kind of an old law, but it still works. And let me just tell you something. Truth has no expiration date. If it's true, if it's truth, it still works today. Number three, people will say the Bible is too boring to enjoy. I have to tell you this, and you haven't read this book. Because when it starts off with God speaking into nothing and worlds being created, I think, I think, I choose, not I think, I know I choose to believe in a big God over a big bang because I serve a big God that is able to speak to that stuff. And finally, people will say this, the Bible is too confusing to care. And let me just tell you this, here's what I want you to understand. When you open up this book, and if you don't understand, that's why we we have connect groups. And more importantly, this is the most important part. That's why we have the Holy Spirit to help us. You have the author of this book living inside of you that can interpret his own words. Why do we want you reading the Bible? You ready for this? Because the less time you spend with truth, it is easier to believe in lies. We open this book because it begins to become something that, that, that insulates us against believing the lies of that fourth voice. God tells the truth. God is truthful. Hallelujah. Number two, jot this down. God is not good is what the enemy says. That was his other lie. How, how do you know that, Pastor Tim? See, God is not good in this exchange rests on one word emphasized by Eve and Satan. It's one word. Let me read it to you and show you the one word. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Okay, look at that verse again. Eve and Satan emphasize this one word, which is not. It's this, it's this emphasis. Satan took the whole focus off the entire garden and puts it on one tree. One tree. Think of this for a second. Eve didn't emphasize the goodness of God which is the entire garden, Satan redefines God because of a restriction. This is, and so therefore, since God said no to something, God must not be good. Think of this for a second. I, because I, I want to build this for a second. This is important to realize because God said, I'm protecting you. I don't want you to do this. That's the only thing that Satan focuses on. Did God say you can't eat from that tree? Missing the entire garden that's here. Listen, I, I had very interesting, in dealing with the goodness of God, I had a very interesting meeting some years ago at our soup kitchen in Detroit. I was sitting at a, in our gymnasium eating with people, but I was, this day... I was not only eating with two men that were transvestites, both of them fully dressed as women, but it was one of the most profound conversations that I've had with these two transvestites. And this is what they said to me. As we're eating there at a soup kitchen, and we, we would mi mingle around just to have conversations with, with everyone that was coming in um, from different parts of Detroit, this is what they said. They said, Reverend, because of our sexual preference, because of what we've chosen, and because of what God said in the Bible, are we going to hell? That's 
what they asked me. That was a, it was a deep meeting at a soup kitchen. And I looked at them, and this is what I told them. Because it goes back to this lie. And I said this to them. I said, what you're wanting me to do is tell you the rules without understanding the Father who makes the rules. I said, what you're wanting me to do is to say, here's the rule, but you don't understand who God is as a father. I said, if I'm a dad and all you hear about is all the things I said you can't do as a kid to my children, you don't know who I am or who my character is. You have to know the father behind it. I said, you're wanting me to jump to Leviticus 16. You wanted me to jump over to, to this path. I said, let me, let me show you how much God loves you. And then all of a sudden, you can see it in a different light. Let me, let me give it to you like this. You ready for this, church? In Exodus chapter 20, before God, Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments start in verse 3 of Exodus 20. And before God talks about the rules, the commands, he says, let me explain who I am first. And then you understand my heart behind this. Look at it. It's Exodus 20. He says, I'm the Lord your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt and the house of slavery. And then he starts with commandment number one. You shall have no other gods before me. You know what God said? If you know who I am, that I rescue people out of chains. I rescue people out of every type of thing. He said, if I can rescue you, he says, then I know what's best for you. He said, I've got vested interest in this whole thing. I said, so when I'm talking to people and they're wanting to focus in on the one tree that maybe God puts a restriction on, I'm going, and then you're coming up with God's not good or God doesn't understand me, because he's put a limitation. Here's what blows me away. Get ready for this, church. Botanists say today there are 60,000 species of trees. 60,000. Let's assume that all 60,000 are in the Garden of Eden. Here's what Satan does. So you can't eat that one tree? And missing there's 59,999 other trees. So what the enemy does is, God's not good because he's not letting you eat from all 60,000 trees. Can I just let you know something? We serve a good God. We serve a generous God. And when God puts a limitation or a restriction, it's because he's God. He knows what's better for us. He knows what's better for you than you do yourself. That's what God does. See, this is what's so important about this. See, it's this, it's this whole concept that you never see the whole garden. All you see is one tree. And so you're making your decision. Oh, God says, I can't. I can't do that very thing. It's God beginning to look out for us. Jot this down because this is so important about this passage. Satan was not trying to get Eve to be a devil. He was trying to get Eve to be a god. That's what he was doing. He was not trying to make her this wicked. He was saying, I want you to be in God and think you're in control now. I want you to think. That, listen, that's what he says. Look at verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, he says, you're not going to die for God knows the day you eat from this, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God. See, that's what sin does. Can I? Here, okay, I keep saying do this quick, but nothing's quick. Here it is. This is the result of sin. Three things happen. One. It produces rebellion. What's rebellion? It's not just people who break the rules. It's people who want autonomy and believe that they're self-sufficient. In a sense, 
They want to be able to make the rules. Essentially, they want to be God. So it produces rebellion. Number two, sin produces foolishness. It's foolishness. We believe there is no insider perspective more reliable than mine and what I know. How foolish is that? That's what he was telling Eve. He said, if you eat this fruit, he says, you're going to know what's best for you. Anybody who says, I know what's best for me, it's foolishness. God knows what's best for us. God knows what's best for us. And the, the, the other thing that Satan will never tell you, sin produces paralysis. It renders us incapable of obeying God. Sin makes us morally paralyzed. That's why we need the voice of God, church. We need God to speak to us again. The goodness of God is that he didn't leave us voiceless, but he always comes in and wants to speak to us. The good news is that the, in the, of the kingdom is that God did come in to rescue us from ourselves, from ourselves, from our rebellion, from our foolishness, from our paralysis. God showed up and said, let me bring you, let me call you closer to me. I remember the story. I, it just hit me when I was thinking over this message. My mind went back to a, 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 it was a church picnic. And we, our children were little at this time. And, and my son Christian was probably five or six years old. And I, I don't even know why it was there, but there was this big giant wall next to some softball fields, probably 20 to 25 feet high. And that little boy found a way to, to get up, found some path that was off the, the beaten road, and I look up as I'm talking to somebody from the church, I look up, and this 25, almost as high as that balcony, I see my son walking along the wall that if he falls, it is not, this is, this is going to be tragic. And something in me wanted just to go, are you out of, and all of a sudden, I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, do not yell at him, but love him off the wall. And, I, and I'm looking at this boy going, and he, and he goes, goes, Dad, look, look, look. I go, oh, way to go. Way to go 25 feet up in the air. Way to walk dangerously. Wow. Woo. And I'm looking at him, and I go, okay, you did it. Now, hey, meet me over here. Hey, where'd you go? Oh, I, went, I go, okay, now walk with me. Okay, don't, don't look, look, and let's, let's get you down. And I watch, and I felt like that little boy if I would have screamed at him and yelled at him, I could, I could, have, I, I could have been part of his tr the tragedy. But here's what I realized. That's exactly what God did for us. Here's the verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That God's motive, what God was doing is while we're on the precipice of hell, God loved us enough to begin to say, I've come here to love you and to talk you off this precipice to get you to the place that you need to be today. That's what God has come to do. God, folks, can I give you some good news today? God tells the truth. He is truthful and God is good. God is good. But let me close with this, because it's probably the most profound thing that the enemy tries to do and mess up is really this final thing. And we close here when he says that God is not righteous. That was the lie. That was the accusation. That was the character assassination. If I can show you that God is not good, God is not truthful, and God is not righteous, what he was saying was, 
then I'm going to get you to make up your own laws. Folks, hello, welcome to our country. Folks, listen, this is not rocket science. If I can begin to prove, if the enemy can get those lies in, then man makes up his own laws and leaves God out. We need the voice of God. I need the voice of God. God is not righteous. What was the enemy saying? Look at verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. When the enemy said that, he was saying those words, you surely shall not die. He was saying, God is not righteous. He was questioning the judgment of God. He was questioning penalty. He was questioning that you can do whatever you want and there is no consequence to it. That's what he was doing. You won't die. If you violate what God wants, you won't die. He was questioning the judgment and the penalty of, of sin. Folks, this is, this, this is all happening today. Okay, let's go back to that awesome verse of the New Testament. Here it is. Come on, say it out loud with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Okay. For God so loved the world. What a great verse. Considered to be the, 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 one of the greatest verses of all the New Testament, of all the Bible. God so loved the world. That word love is huge. But I'm going to tell you, you can't, if you leave off, if you just start off, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If you stop there, then what you've done is you've questioned the judgment of God. You've said he's not righteous because it's the second part where the first part is moving. God loved the world. The second part is sobering. Here it is. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What he was saying was there is a consequence for not believing in Jesus. Folks, I'm, I, I wish I could say that doesn't exist. It's in there. Listen. Perish is a serious reality that has to be addressed. Perish means to suffer an eternal consequence called hell. That's the penalty of sin. And, and folks, there's not many pulpits that will speak about God, and there's not many pulpits that will speak about hell. But it's, it's, the, it's the righteousness of God. Hell means God is righteous. Hell means God punishes sin. It's an eternal death sentence. It's God. For those that choose not to walk with who God is and walk with God, those who choose not a relationship with God, God says there is a penalty for that. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews 9, 7, 27, it says every one of us is going to die one day, and after that we have to be judged by God. And we're judged on that very thing, that when, when we have the opportunity to walk in a relationship with God, to be born again, did we do that? See, we get one chance in this life. That's it, one chance. We don't know if we have another week, another month, another year, even another day or another hour. But people are slow to embrace the brevity of life. They're slow to embrace it. I mean, folks, come on, let's, let, let's, just, let's just make this real. If you were to go to the doctor and say, am I going to die? Here's what the doctor's going to say. Yes, 
It's just a matter of when. <laughs> we all, which means if Hebrews 9.27 is true, that we're all going to stand before God one day. Every one of us. Because God is not just true. God is not just good. But God is righteous. God is righteous. Can we look at it this way? When Eve said to the fourth voice, when Eve had the conversation with the serpent, what God said, you will die if we do that. Here's the question. Did they die? Here's what's interesting. Because they kind of think, they kind of think of it almost like Disney. It's kind of like the Snow White thing. It's like, and it's over. That's what we kind of think about. That's not it. Here's what's crazy. When you read Genesis 5-5, it tells you how long Adam and Eve lived for. You ready for this? 930 years. Folks, when I got up this morning and walked in that cold weather, I'm 58. I'm just telling you, I'm ready to go be with Jesus at 58. If God, if God goes, you have 900 years more left, I'm going like, give them to someone else. I said, or, give them to someone else or send me to Florida. Because it's just, it is too cold. It was just too cold this morning. 930 years. See, we do know, here's what we can say. In Genesis 5 also, it says how old Adam was and Eve were when they had their first child. They were 130 years old. So we can kind of come up with this, that after they ate that fruit, they probably lived, ready? Another 800 years. 800 years before they would face that Hebrews 9.27, appointed once for man to die and after that the judgment. You're going to stand before God. Man, I'm 800 years, which means you can walk in sin, you can live your own life and still live. Or let me say it to you this way, you could be alive and still be dead at the same time. Because they didn't just, it wasn't an issue of dying physically, they died spiritually. What do you mean, Pastor Tim? Here's what I want you to get. Jesus defines the meaning of the word dead in the parable of the prodigal son. Remember what the father said when his son came back home? This is what he said. For this son of mine was what? And now he has come to what? Life. He was lost. And now he's found. You know what Jesus was saying dead is to God? Dead to the father means you're separated from the father's love. You're unaware of it. You're untouched by his love. You're unresponsive to it. You're finding your existence far away from it. But he was saying, you know what life is in the kingdom? Life is coming back to the Father's house. Life is coming back into the arms of Jesus. That's why, folks, let me just let you know this today. You can, you can be sitting here today as a professional athlete. You can play for the Yankees or the Brooklyn Nets. You can sit there and play for the Jets or the Giants, and you can have a giant contract, and none of that makes you alive. But if God is not part of your life, I'm telling you, there's no contract that can make you alive to God. 
God. You could be a CEO or you can be a college professor and still be dead. You can have your doctorate and your master. You can have all those things and still be dead. Because dead means you're away from the Father's embrace, away from God's house, away from who God wants you to be. That's why, get this down, Jesus did not come into this world to make bad people good. He came to this world to make dead people live. That's what God came to do. He came to call us like all of us. No matter what dress you're wearing or suit you're wearing, whether you live on the streets or in the penthouse, we are dead until God calls us back to life. That's what God has called us to do. Oh my goodness. This is where it starts. The mission of Jesus is to make you alive. Hey, just before the world shut down, some of the last hands and feet so the world can see the legacy was there in Hollywood in the cement of the of of the Chinese theater of man's Chinese theater right there in Hollywood Boulevard you know it's like from John Wayne to Harrison Ford from Denzel to whoever you put your feet in the wet cement you put your hands in there and and people go Ah, the Hollywood Walk of Fame. The last people to put their hands and feet there before the world shut down were the Avengers. Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, Mark Ruffalo, Jeremy Renner, Scarlett Johansson. They're all the ones that now put their feet and hands in there. And folks, let me tell you, When I was thinking about that, I'm going like, really, the only thing these people have cost me, have given to me, was was really debt to try to, my kids are going, we want to go see Captain America. We want to go, and I'm going like, okay, the only feet and hands that matter to me aren't on Hollywood Boulevard. They've had nail prints in them. Those are the ones that call dead men to live again. When Jesus died on the cross, folks, if you want to know, listen, if you want to know which feet and hands to look for, don't go to Hollywood Boulevard. Look at an old rugged cross 2,000 years ago that have nail-scarred hands and nail-scarred feet because those are the hands and feet that call us to come back to life. Those are the ones that bring us back to the place we're supposed to be. Folks, think about it this way. Back in Genesis chapter 1, to create, God had to speak. But to redeem, God had to die for us. His, think about it. He made man by his breath, but he needed to save man by his blood. And today, you could be sitting here breathing, going, my COVID test is negative. Well, it better be. My COVID test is negative and going, I'm alive. Mm-mm, not if Christ is not in you you got to come back to the Father's house. If you're watching online, I'm telling you, it's God calling you back. I don't care if it's Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday. If someone sent you this link, you're going, my mom told me to listen to this. I'm telling you, you could live today. You could live today. How does that happen, Pastor Tim? What is God calling me back to? Today, this is your day. He's calling you back to life today. See, Jesus, in that same chapter... It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Just before that same chapter, it's all part of a big conversation. And the big conversation starts with this. No man. John 3, 3. We read 3.16. It all starts on this. Some religious man named Nicodemus comes and asks Jesus on how his life can change. And Jesus says, no man can see the kingdom of heaven, live forever, be forgiven, unless they're born again. Those are Jesus' words. Born again is not a Times Square church word. It's not a Christian term. It is a Jesus word. Jesus came up with that. Why, why that phrase, Pastor Tim? For this reason. It was an imagery. He said, just as you were born the first time, physically you need a second birth, spiritually. Jesus said, you cannot go to heaven. You cannot be forgiven of your sins unless you're born again. You may sit here today and say, well, I was water baptized. Good. That's not what Jesus said. I sang in the choir. Great. That's not what Jesus said. I'm a good person. Hey, stay good. But that is not what Jesus said. He said, you must be born again. John 3, 5. You must be born again. Well, Pastor Tim, how does that happen? It's as simple as ABC. It's A, admitting that you're a sinner. It's starting with this premise. I'm broken on the inside. The diagnosis is sin and I can't fix myself. There's not a promise you can make, a program you can go to, a priest you can confess to, or a pastor you can hear preach. There's not a synagogue or a mosque. You can go to any denomination you want. They can't fix you. Only Jesus can fix you today. He's the only one that can fix you. How does that happen, Pastor Tim? That's the B word. Believe. Believe that God sent his son 2,000 years ago to die on the cross for you. He didn't die on that cross. Think about this. He didn't sit there, come down, die, suffer what he suffered, go to that cross, nail-scarred hands and feet, and say to you, do your best so you can get to heaven. That's ridiculous. He said, it's understanding I came to bear your sin. I was your sin bearer. I died the death you were supposed to die. Lived the life you didn't have any possibility of living and gave you a reward you didn't deserve. That's why it's called grace. And see, confessing him as Lord, saying you're in charge of my life. To say Jesus is Lord, God didn't send his son to resurrect from the dead to simply to get us to sit in a seat for 90 minutes on Sunday. He didn't die to get you to church. He died to get you to heaven. He died so you'd be forgiven. He died to change a decision today. Listen to me, online and in this place. A decision today can not only change your today, your tomorrow, and your forever. You could be sitting here and dead, and God goes, I've come to make you alive today. I've come to call you home. I want you to close your head, close your eyes and bow your head with me, please. Just for a second. Close your eyes and bow your head for just one moment. I want to give you the opportunity to make the most important decision you've ever made in your life, and that is to be born again. I'm not going to embarrass you. I won't make you stand up. I won't make you walk forward. We have COVID protocols that we just, for, for a while. But right now, in just a few moments, I'm going to ask you, if you're, if you're here today, not yet, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Tim, I want to start a journey with God, but I'm not perfect. And I want to say to you, congratulations. Perfect people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. And today your life can change. Today you can be forgiven of your sin. Today you can be born again. Because in just a few moments... I want to pray a born-again prayer to start that journey. 
Our workers, if you're a Christian, you're praying for the people that are sitting around you, maybe the people that you've invited. If you're praying for those online, but I want to ask you today, those online and those sitting personally here today, if you're sitting in this place today and say, Pastor Tim, I want to take a journey with God. I want to be born again. I want to know eternity in heaven with God is a place that I want to go. I want to live for. I want to be forgiven. I want to be born again. I want to be changed from the inside out. If that's you today, in just a few moments, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. In about 10 seconds, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand because I want you to make that decision today. We're all going to pray a prayer together, but if you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that born-again prayer, would you include me? I today want to make, God is true, God is good, God is righteous, and today I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I confess him as Lord. You're in charge now of my life. You're in charge now. And if you're here today, I'm not asking you to join a church or denomination. I'm asking you today to be born again, the most important decision. If you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that prayer, would you include me with every head bowed and every eye closed without any hesitation? If you want me to include you in that prayer, I want you to hold your hand up as high as you can right now. Hold them up as high as you can. I want to make sure I see every hand that's up. Keep them up because I'm going to count them. I want to make sure I see every hand. There's one. There's two. I see over there three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 13, 14, 15, 16, a whole family over there, 17, anybody else I want to make sure, 18, got you back there, that's fantastic, you 18 people can put your hands down, thank God for every one of you, those that are online, I want you to type online, I want to make that decision, every one of you, listen, can we all pray this together with those in this room and those online, come on, let's all lift our voice and pray this together, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God, I believe that on the cross you took my sin my shame and my guilt and died for it you faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven a purpose on earth and a relationship with your father today Lord Jesus I turn from my sin to be born again Come on, say it with me now loud. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah. You came back to the Father's house, and it doesn't mean simply the church on 51st and Broadway. It's coming back into the arms of a God that loves you and cares about you today. Would you stand with me? If you were one of those 18 here today, would you go ahead and text the number, text the word decided to 51,000. Decided to 51,000. And we're going to help you on your next step. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.